Kennedy, there's a police officer in Trinidad. If I ever get in jail in Trinidad, I'm going to say, Kennedy, come sing. And those jail doors will just swing open. Pray with me. God, we stand with all your people this morning, all over the world, praising Jesus. And we realize we're just a little speck, but you are such a great God that you can pour all of your love and all of your teaching into one little speck and still have it all left over. And so, God, come with your spirit now and teach us not only in our minds, but in our hearts, how to be filled with Jesus. Let your word have our names fill in the blanks. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, before I, before I um, get to this scripture, and I'm mindful of the time, so you don't have to be. I, I, I said this last service, and I want to say it again this service. This is such an appropriate time. I believe that God is building a new church in the world that is not institutional, that is not denominational, that has little to do with walls and everything to do with relationships. And I believe that someday, whether I'm alive to see it or not, if the Lord should tarry, that Northland will be a global church and that literally our worship will happen all around the world and that somehow through technology we will be able to have a sermon from Orlando and a testimony from Houston and a song from Munich and a, and a, a, a Bible reading from Trinidad and, and a, uh, a, a, a creedal repetition uh, or, or responsive reading from Egypt. I believe that God's people will be given a foretaste of Revelation chapter 7, where all people of every tongue and every tribe and every nation under heaven surround that throne. And I believe that someday we will know each other through our relationships so closely that it won't be an effort for us to join in to worship of a steel band. It won't, we'll, it'll be just as natural as it can be. And it won't be an effort to join into the worship of the Indians as, as it is now when I go to India. It's, it's, I, I have to learn it, and finally I get the rhythm, and then i got to come home. And it won't, be, it won't be an effort for them to learn hymns by John Wesley and Fanny Crosby. It's not going to be an effort, because all of God's people are going to worship him. And I believe someday, if not us, then our children will see that. Now, listen to Jesus as he teaches us. He is preaching to us the Sermon on the Mount, greatest sermon on holiness ever preached. And you remember that as Matthew records it in the sixth chapter, Jesus deepened our understanding of religious practices. And at the end of that sixth chapter, he taught us how to handle the material goods of this world. That churchy word is called stewardship. But at the beginning of the seventh chapter... He begins to teach us how to handle ourselves, a much more difficult endeavor. And as we begin reading in the seventh chapter, the seventh verse, we run into a verb form in Greek that we've seen before. 
Read the whole passage with me because everyone knows that a good Bible hermeneutic or a, 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 a good interpretation principle is always, if you know the end, to interpret the beginning in light of the end that you know that's coming. The New Testament interprets the Old Testament. And so the end of this passage will interpret the beginning of the passage. Ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it shall be opened. What man is there among you when his son asks him for a loaf, will give him a stone? Or if he shall ask for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your Father, who is in heaven, give what is good to those who ask Him? Therefore, however you want people to treat you, so treat them. For this is the law and the prophets. Now watch where we're going. We're going to how we treat people. And we go there from how our Father treats us. And we learn how our Father treats us by our requests. We start out asking for things. We go to experiencing a relationship. And we end up by loving, disregarding the things. Now, I don't have a set message for you today. I, I'm just going to mosey through this scripture and say whatever God lays on my heart. And, and, I, and I trust it'll be exactly what you need to hear. I do have some things I want to tell you about the text. First of all, let me reintroduce that verb form to you. When it says ask, in the Greek, it is in the present verb tense. That means it is in a repetitive. It calls for uh, a continual or repetitive action, not just a one-time action. But it calls for a continual or repetitive action. Therefore, it would be better translated, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. Now, the last two Sundays, Jesus also taught us that verb form in a different way. He taught us in the negative. When he said in the last part of chapter 6 of Matthew, don't be anxious. Do not be anxious. That was in the present tense, imperative mood. And it means this. I know you guys are worriers. I can tell you right now not to be anxious, and maybe you'll stop worrying for a minute, but tomorrow you're going to start worrying again. And so what you, what you need to do tomorrow is you need not to worry either. As soon as you start worrying, you've got to remember my words. Don't be anxious. And as soon as you start worrying again, that should be a trigger. You should hear the words of Jesus. Don't be anxious. So Jesus is saying, don't worry. Now don't worry again. Now don't worry again. Now don't worry again. Keep on not worrying. And then Jesus says this, I know you to be not only worriers, I know you to be criticizers. I know you to take a morally superior stance and to make yourself look better, you look down on other people. You condemn them. I know that's your nature because you want to come off looking good. And many times it's at the expense of others. So I'm telling you, don't judge. It's not that you cannot make sound biblical judgments, but don't be judgmental. Don't assume that haughty, arrogant position 
Now, I know that telling you one time isn't going to do it. And I'm going to have to tell you that again and again and again and again. So that's what I'm saying in the present tense. Don't judge. Oops, you're starting to judge again, aren't you? Don't judge. Oops, you're starting to get annoyed with somebody, aren't you? Don't judge. You're starting to get frustrated with somebody, aren't you? Cut it out. Don't judge. You just got angry with somebody. Don't judge. You see? Again and again and again and again. Now watch this. Jesus says, well, if you can't handle the stress of life by worrying, and if you can't handle the stress of life by blaming others, that means you got to handle the stress of life yourself. you got to take action. And anybody that has any intelligence about their own abilities or lack of abilities to handle the world will right away say, I can't handle it. And God says, good for you. Lesson one accomplished. You can't handle it. That's why I'm here. That's why I'm here. Because you see, spiritual maturity many times is the opposite of what we call worldly maturity. Because the kingdom of God is many times opposite or upside down from the kingdom of man. Think for a minute. What's the goal in life? To be strong. What's the goal in the kingdom? That God's strength might be made perfect through our weakness. When is God strongest? When we're the weakest. What is the goal of life? To be the leader. How do you become a leader in the kingdom? You become a servant. What is the goal of life? To get. How do you get in the kingdom? You give. You see how that works? Now watch this. All our lives, we raise our kids to be self-sufficient. We raise them to be strong enough that they won't come back and bug us anymore. Because if they're coming back and bugging us, we haven't done our job. You know what? In the kingdom, it's exactly the opposite. In the kingdom, God doesn't raise us to be self-sufficient. In the kingdom, God raises us to realize that for the most important things of life, we are to be dependent on Him. You see, maturity in the world is thinking you can handle it. Maturity in the kingdom is knowing you can't. Maturity in the kingdom is knowing that only God can handle it. Therefore, we got to keep asking Him. And there's something in us that really wants to do that. There's something in us that doesn't want this deist God that winds up the universe and steps back and just watches us perform. There's something in us that would make us want to think that we're, we're worth a little bit more trouble than that. You, you, some of you like uh, Charlie Brown cartoons. And, and there's, a, there's, you know, Snoopy the dog. And Snoopy's sitting on top of his doghouse and Charlie Brown comes out with a bowl. And he says, Snoopy, I found this new dog food. Oh, it's real easy. All you got to do is pour it in a bowl and put a little water on it. it makes its own gravy. It's just easy. No trouble to it. And he puts it down and walks away. And Snoopy's thinking, I'd like to think I'm worth a little bit more trouble than that. <laughs> All of us would like to think we're worth a little bit more trouble than that. That God is going to have more interchange. And that's exactly what God says. Exactly right. I do want to be totally involved in your life. So keep asking. If, this is not about what you can get. This is not about a mechanical exchange. You know, the Bible says it's not the amount of faith that you have. 
If you have, a, if you have a faith as much as, as a grain of mustard seed, you can move a mountain. You can do anything you want. It's not the amount. It is the pre-faith that you have. It is going to God knowing the basis of your request. And the basis of your request is not you or how well you ask it or how you ask it. The basis of your request is the relationship you have with a father who loves you. That's the only faith you need. That faith that says, I have a father through Jesus Christ. And why he will answer my prayer? Look at what it says. It says, everyone, verse 8, everyone who asks receives. And he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it shall be opened. Now, it's not like that in the world, is it? How do you get your, your requests answered in the world? Well, you either know somebody, or you bribe somebody, or you, you have some power thing you're going to pull. If you don't do this, I'm going to do this. Uh, or, or, or I'm your favorite, aren't I? You've always loved me. We've always been especially close. Therefore, you're going to answer my request. But the Bible says God has no partiality, that God loves us all just the same. And so therefore, it isn't who we know. It isn't how well we've done. It isn't how much we've achieved in the kingdom. Are you, are you his child? If you're his child, you're going to get your prayer answered. Everyone who asks receives. You see? And so the basis of our hope is not our merit, but our father's character and his desire to give to his children. Now look how he develops that theme. Because the reason he wants us to go to him in the first place is to develop the relationship, not just to give us stuff. Look at what he says. He says, what man is there among you when his son or his daughter, the important, the important thing is the relationship there. If you have Jesus Christ in your heart, if you have invited him into your heart as your Savior, you're his son or daughter. You're adopted into the family. And you're just as much a son or daughter as anybody else in the, in the whole world. It says, when his son shall ask him for a loaf, we'll give him a stone. Now you know as well as I do that the bread in Gennesaret, where this is taking place, is flat and round. It's like pita bread. And you know, you can imagine that the stones around uh, the Sea of Galilee, when they were bleached white, were round and flat. And so stones looked like bread. And Jesus is saying, what father among you would play a dirty trick on a hungry child and hand him a stone? See if he'd bite into it. And then he says this, or, or if he asks for a fish, you're not going to give him a serpent, are you? Now, another form of waterfowl or water, water uh, creature in that area was the eel. Now, the eel looked like a serpent, but you couldn't eat an eel if you were a good Jew because Leviticus says that, that it, any, any fish that does not have fins or scales is unclean. And so, therefore, there was a dietary restriction. And he's saying, who, what father would play such a dirty trick? as to slip in not only not a fish, but something that would be against what, what would be holy. Now, this is what God is saying. You parents love your children, even though by nature you are evil. Now, let me tell you the word evil here. 
The word evil not only means that you're bad-natured, and, and, and Jesus had absolutely no illusions about our nature. We came out of the, we came out of the shoot ornery, and we stayed ornery and selfish. But, watch this, that selfish part is very important here. The Greek word here is paneros. Paneroi really is this form. And remember what I told you a few, a few weeks ago, that, that, that when we talked about the evil eye, remember what the evil eye is? It's the eye that closes down. That's the evil eye. And a bad eye or an evil eye is one that is stingy. It doesn't let much in. And Jesus is saying here, your nature is to take all you can and to give as little as you can. Not to give out, not to be generous. He says, if you love your children enough to be generous to them, how much more does your father love, and his nature is to be hoplos, is to be generous, is to be wide open, is to be a cheerful giver. That's his nature. How much more does he desire to give to you? Now watch what he's doing here. Parents, I'm just let me take just a moment with you. He says the immature parent is one who will be almost in competition with their children. Do you know parents who, because they will not take calm parental authority, argue with their kids all the time? And get, and get, listen, I want to tell you something. As far as God's concerned, there is no power struggle in your family. You have the power, they got the struggle. You're in charge. You be the parent. Just as God is our authority, He has set us an authority over our children. You don't need to yell about that. You don't need to get anxious. You don't need to out-argue anybody. You're the mom. You're the dad. It's up to you. Take authority. Don't get upset. How many parents do you know that just fight back and forth, back and forth, back and forth with their kids, thinking they got to out-argue your kid? You don't have to out-argue your kid. Take authority. You know why you take authority? So that you can be kind. So that you can give to them generously what they need. Do you know when God answers prayer, that God doesn't always answer prayer according to what you think you want? You know why? Because he's smarter than you are. And he loves you more than to let you have control of life as you see it. What parent would let a kid take control of a household? Not a smart one. Anybody that does that deserves what they get. But the kid doesn't deserve it. The parent it ought to be smarter than that. You see, God, listen, God, when he answers our prayers, that's one of the reasons it says keep on asking. Because God doesn't always answer our prayers in our way, in our time. And you know what? People... Forget to keep track of what they, what they ask for. And so when God gives them an answer, and he always does, they don't give credit to God. They think it just solved itself. Never mind, God, I got this one solved. Who solved it? No, God, the reason we keep on asking is not just to build up the relationship, although that is the main cause. The main reason is to know God's timing and God's answer is more wonderful than our own. And sometimes when we think an issue is dead, it's not dead. It's just getting started to be something better than you ever imagined. Next week, <laughs> next week 
I'm going up to participate in my mother-in-law's wedding. My mother-in-law's getting married. This is a very strange thing. She's 72 years old. She went back to her 50th class reunion a few years ago and met someone in her senior class that had a crush on her. She had no idea. Well, they started dating. They've been dating a few years. His spouse had died, her spouse had died. 72 years old, he's in Gaga land. He, he goes around, just, he, he's so happy, he can hardly keep his mouth. He's so happy. She acts like a little girl, giggling, holding hands, cuddling up. My kids are totally grossed out by this whole thing. Totally grossed out. She's gone from, when I die, I want you to have this, to, I wonder what's inside this Victoria's Secret catalog. <laughs> Listen, God never gets done answering prayer. You understand? Just when we've given up, we haven't kept track of the desires of our heart. God's never let it go. And so, Here's the deal. It is so important to recognize the difference between a sovereign God in full control, glad to be God and we're not, and someone who struggles day to day. You remember that Jesus is talking to a Hebrew nation that hopes someday for a Messiah. They don't recognize this is the Messiah. They just hope someday there is a Messiah. Now, a nation like that has their hopes in a totally different God than, uh, than the Greeks who sat among them, the Hellenistic people. Because those Greek ha Greeks had gods. Most of you know Greek mythology. You know what Greek gods were like. They were just idiot people on a little higher level. The Greek gods were so stingy. They didn't want men to have fire. They didn't want men to have this. They didn't want, and, and every time man would try to trick them out of something, they'd come down and they'd weave plots against man and, and, and all that. The Greek gods were just bad people, a little bit higher realm. Well, I tell you this. When it comes to being a parent, you can choose. You can choose whether to come down and get involved in all your kids' lives and try to become another little kid and try to dress like a kid and act like a kid and be accepted and, and, and try to live out your life as a kid and, 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 and out-argue them as kids. Or you can be the mom and the dad you were meant to be. Say, look, I don't even like this job, but God put me in control. This is my decision. That's all there is to it. And because of that, give them a stable life. Now, God says this. God says, if you can do that, Jesus says this, if you can do that, being as closed down and as limited as you are, and we all are limited in our ability, how much more is God going to give you? You know why? Because he loves for you to ask. He loves for you to ask. It's a place where you know he fits. I know that it's hard, it's difficult for many of you to trust. Because, and Jesus knows this too. Because you have been hurt and you have been betrayed by people 
who you have trusted, who you have loved. I know some of your parents have betrayed you. I know some of your close friends have betrayed you. But I also know this, that when you are tempted to look at the world as that which you never want to get anybody close to you again, but you want to get out of it as much as you can. When you are tempted to say, I'm never going to get close to anybody again, I'm just going to get out of them as much as I can, you have just cut yourself off from the fulfillment of life. Love may hurt, but there's no other game in town. You've got to be vulnerable in order to be fulfilled. And when we raise our kids to be self-sufficient, when we raise our kids to have uh, an attitude that says, you know, when you're grown up, you don't ask. When you're grown up, you don't let your need be known. What we're raising our kids for or, or, or like is we're, we're raising our kids to be people who don't know how to love. And we're raising our kids to be people we can never fit into again. When somebody asks you for something, you may or may not be able to grant it. But at least you see a place where you can fit. You understand? And so asking is a way of opening our hearts. And it's not just our asking God. It's our asking each other. It's a way of fitting together. So you see, God is training us as we ask him... And we are open with our needs to being able to ask others and being open to our needs. Now watch this. This is the last, this is the last part of this. God also, as he answers our prayers and fills us with our needs, is training us to be the answer to somebody else, to be the supplier to someone else. That's what that last verse means. Jesus says this, therefore, however you want people to treat you, treat them. Because this is the law and the prophets. Now, this is a very important point. First of all, let me say this. This has been called the Mount Everest of ethics. This is the golden rule. And those who are not educated, those who are not knowledgeable in the things of the spirit, Assume that because most major religions have some form of the golden rule that pretty much all religions are alike. Lao Tzu taught something that was akin to the golden rule. Confucianism has something akin to the golden rule. Judaism has the golden rule in the negative. Islam has the golden rule. You can, you can see in the Quran some sort of form of the golden rule. But that does not mean that all religions are equal. Because as Jesus states it, the golden rule is not a political measure to stay safe, nor is it a moral measure just to be a nice person. As Jesus states it, the golden rule happens only when we realize how God has filled us and we, therefore, want to fill other people. It only comes from love that is so full, it can't help but give. And so therefore, Jesus is saying it not so that we can be safe or not so that we can be nice, but so that we can be reflections of God. 
so that we can, we can have an avenue, some place, some, some way in which we can give to them. So see what happens here. It begins by us thinking we just need something in our lives. And if we ask often enough for something in our lives, then we'll begin to realize, wait a minute, I'm just not getting something, I'm getting someone. (laughs) I'm building a relationship because I'm constantly going to the Father and God is constantly supplying me with what I need. And then when we've built that relationship, then we build a relationship for others and we become agents, ambassadors for Christ in this world. It's the picture of Romans 12. I'll I'll close with this. It's the picture of Romans 12. How does Romans 12 start? We offer ourselves to God, a living and holy sacrifice, which is our spiritual form of worship. Now watch this. You read the rest of that chapter, you know what that chapter is all about? God gifting us for service to one another. God gifting us for ministry to one another. You see the pattern here? We start out needing we end up giving. We start out wanting, we end up loving. That's what this passage is about. Pray with me now. God, thank you that you have told us to ask again and again because we are not self-sufficient. and You did not make us to be that way. We want to be close to you. We want to be close and, 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 and have friendships all over the world so that we can continue to do as our Lord Jesus did. We can continue to serve. We can continue to pour out ourselves as an offering. And therefore, we can experience love. Lord, teach us that it's not wrong to need. It's good to need. Because that's where others fit. And teach us how to love as others need also. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.